through the hourglass. Today is the longest day of my life. Welcome back to The Longest Days of Our Lives. I am one of your hosts, Jack Bauer, superfan Mike Cushing. And I'm another one of your co-hosts, 24 newbie Curtis Perry. And I am your third host, uh, and Jack Bauer, superfan and just general lover of 24 right now, Michael Howard. Yeah, we. this is a tasty episode, I don't yeah. mind telling you. I, I forgot a lot of what happens in the middle of the season. And I'm rehooked again. Well, I will say, Michael, it has been a couple weeks since we've watched this show. <laughs> we've been we've we've gotten bogged down by life. Um, oh, I life. think this episode was a lovely reminder to all of us on why this show is so good, mm-hmm. and also to the listener. This is just a, a third week in a row that we've done this show. To all of us, it's been six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Very it's true. been a minute. Bit of a gap, y'all. Bit of a gap. Yeah. Uh, Curtis, before we get into the um, meat of this episode, I do want to ask you, are you watching Tarzan or John Carter of Mars oh, God damn. in the background behind oh, your shoulder? I tar- think it's Tarzan, but there's a 10% chance it's John Carter. It's Tarzan. It is Tarzan. Yeah. Can't. Yep. I'm okay. Not, it just it's just on, but it's got Samuel L. Jackson in it. We've discussed on other shows how much I love Sam L. Yeah, but we've also no, discussed I, how he's literally in every movie. So yeah, you can has, put on any movie and be like, "Oh, Samuel L. Jackson's in it." Yeah, has Wait, a movie come out in the last three years that Sam Jackson wasn't in? At least just kind of passing through in the background. Probably Baywatch. I, I, I think he's so well. tragic. <laughs> I think he's no. I pl- I think he played a shark in that movie. <laughs> he was just he was just contractually obligated to be there. <laughs> yeah, it's much easier to name the movies that Sam Jackson is not in than the movies yeah. he's in. I think. Yeah, yeah, like um, the King Speech wasn't in that one. You go there. Gonna, yeah, true. Uh, that one didn't really have a need for. <laughs> For for Sam Jackson, although he did, he was in the Kingsman, which is kind of a corollary story to the King's speech. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens it's, after it's, the King Colin, learns how to speak. Colin Firth grew up into a Kingsman from yes, the King. Yeah, he was the King, and he couldn't talk, and then he became, he could talk, and now all of a sudden, then he's kicking he kicking people's kill. asses. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the progression goes: you learn to speak, you learn to kill. Exactly. Also that. Manners maketh man. Which Thank you. Someone who had to learn to speak would know. Exactly. So. You can't say that so f- unless you know how to speak. Yes. So, fellas, it is now 10 a.m. on the longest day of Jack Bauer's life mm-hmm. to date. Because things are things will continue to get a little hairy <laughs> for Senior Jack Bauer. Um, so, Jack has just kidnapped the uh, banker behind, allegedly behind Ira Gaines terrorist organization, Mr. Ted Kofel. He is driving him off in a limousine. We cut back to CTU. We see Alberta Green. She, uh, she has now taken over management of CTU. Do we think um, that in the writer's room that they happen to be watching, like, the nightly news when they were coming up with the name, and they're like, uh, we need a name. Ted Koppel? Oh, wait, no, that's a dude. Too too much. Ted Ted Kofel. That's what we're Kofel. Ted Kofel. Yes. Later in the episode, Jack calls him like Ted Kofail or something, or Ted Kofal. <laughs> he just completely gets it wrong. I think he <laughs> yeah, should have started calling him Ted. Yeah, Jack's pretty fast and loose. Yeah, I mean, 
Jack very clearly has little regard for Mr. Ted Koffel mm. throughout the entirety of this episode. Um, but so at CTU, we learned that um, Alberta Green, she's now in charge of CTU in place of Jack. Um, she learns of the maybe error on the flight manifest from the uh, plane that has that blew up in episode one. We finally, finally come back to that as a plot point. Um, learns that uh, there was a seat empty on the plane. Mm-hmm. And that Mr. Martin Belkin was, uh, you know, the photographer in the plane. And um, basically says, uh, you have two hours to get a threat assessment. Um, and uh, I think they did a pretty good job by CTU standards of figuring that out pretty quick, that the photographer was in on it. Right. And right. it was Service probably that, Martin sir. Belkin. So, so yeah. Right. Service that figured that out, not, well, not CTU. Well, the yeah. Secret yeah. Service, CTU that. which is arguably we'll just... more incompetent than CTU oh, right. at this so. point. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into what CTU knows a little later in this episode. But basically, she knows that Nina knows where Jack is. So she's kind of on to her. Um, so speaking of Jack, we cut to him in the limo with Mr. Ted Kofel, the banker. Um, and Kofel gets a call from someone named Kevin. Uh, says that he can't wait. I need you to meet me Kevin? at a garage. Kevin. 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 I need you to meet me at a garage at the Kevin? Nordhoff garage. Michael, you're saying Kevin like you know something. <laughs> no. I'm do you know? Kevin. Do you know something? You know I'm saying something Kevin because right that's the name of the hot, hot new club in New York. It's called Kevin. <laughs> new York. It has club. everything. It's also the passcode to get in the door. <laughs> right. <laughs> you bastards. Um, so you, it has they, human parking cones. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Go ahead. You were saying New York Tots Club. New York Tots Club. Um, so uh, Ted gets this call from Kevin uh, and then uh, tells Jack where to go. He needs to make a detour from the airport. Um, Jack so he tells Mark really... where to go. Yeah, tells Mark where to go. Yeah. Um, Jack doesn't listen because he's not Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, Ted very very quickly realizes that Mark is gone. Um, Jack looks back at him immediately pulls off the road as Ted starts to make a call. Jack rolls down the divider, pulls a gun, uh, takes his phone, and then holds Ted at gunpoint for a lengthy mm-hmm. amount of time. Here, um, here's the question I have. Yes. In a lot of movies, you see someone like lock the doors to lock somebody in the car. Yes. I feel like that's not something that should be allowed for the driver of a limousine to do to his passengers. Well, specifically a... So they go out of their way to make the point that this is a bulletproof right. limousine. Very highly secured for the passenger's safety. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To give the driver the power to lock <laughs> the passenger in the back seat yep. and then like selectively unlock doors from the outside without a key mm-hmm. to hold them at gunpoint, which is what happens in this scene, seems a little suspect. Yeah. For well, a... Like, it... it, it, it it depends on who you're carrying, guys. Now, I, I don't mean to make this show political, but let's say two years ago, the, the president has a very secure limousine, and you could probably give the man who was the president the, the ability to unlock his doors while the car's in motion. Today, perhaps you keep that in the front seat. Just saying. <laughs> I can't parse if you're saying that our current president can't be trusted to not open a door with a car in motion and roll himself out underneath, like, a semi-truck? Like, you just too dumb to understand how doors work? He might get really excited that there is a cement truck coming by. 
Yeah. <laughs> He's going to get very excited about a, a, a cement truck driving by and just jump out. Or he would see a, a, a semi-truck driver with his smartphone in front of him, like, not driving safely, but would be like, that man's tweeting about me, and would just <laughs> jump out of the car towards the semi-truck and just be crushed under its wheels. That I can see. I yeah. don't want to go down this route. What I'm saying is perhaps you, you keep a child lock situation in the front seat for Fair enough. passengers. Yeah. So anyway, okay. Jack Jack joins Ted in the back seat of this limo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted asks him, do you want money? To which uh, Jack responds with a very forceful slap. <laughs> Just, I don't need your money. You don't get this slap, though. Ask me if I want money again. You want to catch these hands. That's what Jack said. So Say yeah. what one more time, motherfucker. <laughs> So Kofel says what one more time. Um, so Jack holds his gun to his head and says, I think your colleague Gaines has kidnapped my wife and daughter. Um, Kofel says, I have no idea. I'm just a businessman in a bulletproof limo. Yeah. Uh, Jack says, you're a very good liar, but I've seen better. So that was he a good line. I like that one. No, Jack has, Jack has some good lines in this yeah. episode. Yeah. Like a handful of them that like, are really classic 24, but also, again, at this point, which is, it's really super weird to watch a show from 16 years in the future. Some of the lines are trite at this point, but back when Jack said them originally, they were, like, super on point. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jack t- Jack takes the briefcase from Kofel up to the front, tells him to stay put, opens it, because apparently the businessman in charge of a terrorist organization does not put a combo on his briefcase. Yeah, kind of wondered about that. Now, maybe he's such a boss, right? No one would dare to open his briefcase, you know? Or like he's like the, he like, want, like, well, they like, were like the waiting for Jack le- to do it. No, like the mobster who leaves his car unlocked running in the city because nobody, you know, everybody knows who, whose car that is. I ain't taking that shit. It's a good True. point. But, Could you know, be. T, that that T-Kofel briefcase. Not touching know? that. You don't want well, to touch that. In the opposite of leaving a T-Kofel briefcase unlocked, Jack calls Nina. She... Opens a secure line once she realizes that it's Jack calling. Is that the same thing the as opening first... a socket? Or should we drink no. for that? You know, yes, let's drink for it because it's close enough. But this is also the first sign of competent spy work we've seen from anyone in at least <laughs> six episodes. So we're going to drink for that. No problem. Uh, so Jack tells Nina that he has got Kofel <laughs> in the backseat of the limo, which she says, in other, oh, in words, other words, you, you, you kidnapped, kidnapped him. him. Which... Gentlemen, by my count, is the third person that Jack has kidnapped effectively in this show? Maybe the fourth? Yeah, I mean, we're going with... Uh, we got Mason. We got Mason. We got Mason. We got our, we, we got our waitress friend from the last episode. Yeah, we got from episode Pachanko nine. or whatever his name was. Yeah, what about... Pentecost? Um, Pentecost, yeah. Pentecost doesn't necessarily count as a, a kidnapping because he wanted to be taken. Okay. So this is the third... Well, I... Of, <laughs> I got the numbers kidnapping. That number's going to increase pretty soon there, kid. <laughs> yeah, there are a couple things that are going to increase pretty dramatically in this episode and moving forward. Uh, specifically around uh, interrogations. Mm. Mm-hmm. We see our first... This episode, not to jump too far ahead, but we see our first Jack Bauer interrogation in this episode. And it's uh, pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to spoil so, things. They get okay. better. Uh, it just, here, here's the thing. Like, so, um, we're all from Florida, right? We've been to Disney World. Uh, yes. On good old Splash Mountain. You know mm-hmm. how before you go over the final, there's the vulture sitting on the log 
saying everyone has their laughing place. This is ours. I feel like interrogation or torture rooms are Jack's laughing place. And that makes me happy inside. I'm excited to watch (laughs) how he enjoys his laughing place with several suspects moving forward. I like that you correlated a, a child's ride to a to a torture room, and that makes me that makes me very happy. Uh, to be Michael, fair, I'm from that Florida. child's ride, <laughs> yeah, those vultures are defo into some torture bullshit. Like, well, those, yeah, I those, mean, for those, sure, those birds watch some pretty nasty torture mm-hmm. porn for sure. That's true. I mean, there's like the briar patch too, which is basically a torture room, and then there's small world, which is just a torture village. And I'll be very honest, no. I've had nightmares about. The line like the laughing place. <laughs> not, not, not to so mention, anyway. not to mention the entire ride of Splash Mountain. Michael is based around like a really, really racist story from Disney's past. Mm, <laughs> called yeah. like South, like so. mad toads racist. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so anyway. I do with it what I will. Okay, move on. So let's, yeah, here we're going. Um, so Jack responds. He's my only link to Terry and Kim. What did you think I was going to do? Tell me one thing I could have done differently. All day. Mm, Which, yeah. guys, again, I don't mean to pick nits. You know me. That's not my role here. But um, I can think of a handful of things that Jack could have done vastly differently. Yeah. I, there's a there's a few dead bodies in his wake, I would say. A few there's tranquilized bosses. Unanswered yeah. phone calls. <laughs> Just, there's some, yeah, Jack, you, you, you could have done a better job today. I know you're tired, buddy. I get it. But, you know... Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not going to fault him for the choices he's made, but to just to, to just assume that he couldn't have made any better ones right. is a yeah. little short sighted on his the point, choices in the last three hours in which he knew his family was kidnapped. OK, you can be erratic. <laughs> you got to get the girls back before that. You were bad at your job. So yeah, do better. <laughs> it's fun that you use the word erratic because that will come back up later. But um, so. He basically tells Nina to put together an interrogation profile on Ted Kofel based on what she knows about him in five minutes. She asks for 15. Jack says, no, I'll give you five. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I, if I can't break Kofel, I won't be able to find my family. And during this conversation, he never puts up the divider window between him and Kofel. Um, I feel which, like he must the, have. He didn't, though. I, I was listening very intently. <laughs> Kofel would have heard... Every word Jack just said about <laughs> I will break him. See, I I just kind I just assumed that maybe they they just cut that part out. Maybe, maybe. What, does Kofel understand English though, Coach? Uh, objectively, yes, because he does speak English. <laughs> mm. uh, that will come up, that mm. will come up later. Mm. Several, uh, so Jack, a lot goes, of folks speak English. Once again, I'm bringing up the fact that we're from Florida. A lot of people speak English. Man, understand it. <laughs> That's fair. This is the, he could be from the lot south. Of, All right, I'm moving forward. A lot, lot of wrinkles to this show. Now we're veering into Far Cry 5 territory. Um, okay, so Jack goes to find a place to lay low. We cut back. We cut to Terry and Kim. Kim, for the first and somehow not last time in this episode, is napping once again. Uh, but Terry wait, says we, that uh, Jack or... What's we up? Missed, we missed a tiny clock, which is also a drink. Oh, tiny clock. Drink oh. up, fellas. Okay. Sorry, I usually take note of those bad boys. Mm. Michael, what was the time on that tiny clock? 10.08. Thank you. So uh, we cut to Terry and Kim. Uh, Kim is somehow napping. Uh, Terry says, Jack or CT will find us. Um, Kim 
is curious about the phone trace, which, as we found in the last episode, was the longest phone trace of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then out of nowhere, uh, our good friend Rick of the Rick and Douche Adventure Hour comes in and apologizes for the phone fiasco. Um, says, Eli sent me in here to get info. Don't tell me anything. What I don't know can't hurt you, basically. Then he's Which is spends- actually pretty smart on his on his point. He's like, look, if they if they torture me, I'm gonna give everything up. Yeah. Right. But he so spends just don't tell me. But he spends twenty maybe twenty to thirty seconds in the room and then just walks out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what could you have asked? He could have made a more convincing show for sure. Yeah. Well, but then but Eli, he comes out and Eli demands to know what he knows as and he's pissed. When he tells him nothing, how dare you not find out everything they know in 20 seconds? <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> right. And then, like, so I, I didn't look this up from the previous episode um, because I, I'll be honest, I forgot to. But um, so Eli asks what they said. And then it says, who is that guy I talked to on the phone? It was her father, wasn't it? I was like, yeah, the guy who said, I'm the last thing you'll ever see. If you hurt my what? wife and daughter. Yeah. yeah. Probably yeah. her dad, you dumb asshole. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> So he doesn't get the answers he wants from, from Rick. So he starts beating the shit out of him for mm-hmm. no reason. To which Kim just gets really worked up and starts screaming. Yeah, um, I, I have written down, so, like, Rick is taking, taking an ass whooping for Kim. And I'm I'm guessing... He won't be the last man on this show to take one for this stupid bitch. But anyway, can move forward. Curtis, I don't want to spoil anything <laughs> for you. <laughs> I, think I think we're okay, buddy. I, 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 can so, see, I can see how this is moving forward. I have a little premonition on how this is going to progress move as we go. Yeah. So we take a brief segue from our Bourne story uh, back to CTU. Uh, Nina is looking up all the information she can get on uh, Ted Kofel. Uh, so here's what we get where uh, Alberta Green, uh, acting director of CTU, brings up um, the plane passenger manifest in the empty seat. Um, so they very clearly don't have any idea that Mandy exists because they think that Creepy Snipefish was on the plane, stole Martin Belkin's identity, and blew up Mark and Belkin. So they think that Mandy does not exist in the eyes of CTU or law enforcement whatsoever. So... That's an interesting development. They they don't have they have no idea that there's a third party involved in any of this this conspiracy. Yeah, and what's interesting is that Mandy seems like a a pretty big loose end for Drazen and Gaines too, and they don't seem to care at all. Right. But I'm given I'm I'm a little here's the thing though. You know what I just realized, guys? Is Mandy the only person in this show who does their job correctly? It seems like nobody it. knows she nobody knows she exists. She killed mm-hmm. an entire plane full of people. She well, decided to get naked in the bucks. desert. That's on her, right? She got her money. The the bitch she was she with did. who decided to act up got got smacked down as she was supposed to. Mandy did her but she, job. But she did involve Bridget in the plot, necessitating a smackdown. That's true. Mm. That like that mm. was an error in judgment, an error of error of emotion, which we all know gets in the way. But mm-hmm. she corrected it almost immediately. She wasn't happy about it, though. No, I'll tell you that no, you're right. You're right. Maybe she, you know, so so nobody does their you know goddamn job. You know who else wasn't happy about it? Bridget. I don't think Bridget had. She time. didn't. She didn't have a lot, a lot of time to process <laughs> exactly. her emotions on that one. Um, but anyway, Jack calls 
while Alberta Green is standing directly over Nina's shoulder. Nina says that it's Bill Warner from the FBI, to which Alberta says, oh, I'd like to talk to him. Out of nowhere, Tony swoops in. He's been watching Nina the whole time, having been in on this plot, having kind of come to some sort of uh, detente with Jack. Uh, and he covers for Nina and says, hey, I have some more information. Uh, we The shooter's identity might be linked beyond Germany to the Balkans. Mm. So we get a little bit more information on that guy. But he pulls uh, Alberta away from Nina and... Uh, Nina starts giving Jack info on Kofel. He's an only child. He's been he's well accomplished. He has a heart condition, and so Jack says, "Okay, so I have to assume control, then behave erratically, and then uh, get some information." Which is basically the Jack Bauer method of everything. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like no matter what Nina had told him, he was going to be like, "All right, <laughs> so I have to take control, act erratically, and, behave- and yeah. then get everything I need." I mean, so far, behave erratically is basically the Jack Bauer autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> That's good news. <laughs> yeah. So it, she also she also mentions that for someone like Ted Kofel, the threat of pain is greater than pain itself. Mm. So Jack Bauer takes that information that actually from Nina. Would, that, like, I, but she says, like, with people as tightly wound as Kofel, that works. Right. Um, I am arguably not very tightly wound that works on me too like if you threaten me with pain i'm gonna mm. i'm gonna give you what you need because i don't want to get hurt well i'm I'll a sensitive boy here's, here's where i'm at i'm not very tightly wound at all but i value my time <laughs> like honestly like my time is the most important thing i have like i could be playing video games right now but i choose to talk to you assholes if <laughs> Someone said to me, listen, I'm going to torture you and beat the shit out of you if you don't tell me something. I'm like, okay, but if I tell you, can I leave to Mm -hmm. read a book or something? Mm -hmm. I've got places to be. My time is valuable. So it's not so much that you might get hurt. It's that you might get hurt and then have to give up the information anyway. So let's just skip the whole time suck that is me being tortured. I'll just give it to you now. we, We get into this later in the episode, like... You're going to tell Jack Bauer something eventually. Mm-hmm. Or die, yeah. one of the two. Right, and I don't really care about... I don't want to die, and I like my blood where it's at, inside of <laughs> right. me. Yeah. And your stomach so just, acid where it's at as well. Right, so just... Uh, yeah, I'll talk to you, because my time is valuable. I'm a busy person. Yeah, I'm not I, busy, but I, I like I, I being t- not busy. I'm honest with most of my friends. It's like, look, look guys, I, I, I know that there's this whole thing about not snitching, but I don't want to go to jail. Uh, I got shit to do. So if you're gonna be dumb and commit a serious crime, I'm snitching. Just know it. Just don't, don't, don't do something stupid. You yeah. Know, if you, you're gonna you, be you a see- bad boy, be a bad boy. Just yeah. don't tell me about it because I'm I, not interested. I don't yeah. have the time to cover for you. I mean, you steal a candy bar. I'm not. I'm covering. For, you, you got. I got you. You commit. You commit good, good murder. It depends on who. I'll you be kill. honest. I stole a candy bar one time when I was nine. It took me all of. 36 seconds to walk back in and return it because I felt I was like I don't have the time to explain that candy bar to my dad that's why you that eat it Kush you yeah, shove that, that, it that, in that, your that should have been in your belly in the parking lot yeah. friends. I don't understand why that lasted no that but it was, at a, it was at a convenience store with my dad after a baseball you game you eat it in the store who am I Jacques Cousteau that didn't make any sense <laughs> but no just like I walked outside and I was like I didn't have the 
time to explain to my dad where I got a candy bar that he didn't pay for because I'm nine and I don't have cash on hand. You know what was a what was a pretty slick move that people used to use when I worked at Toys R Us? So we had these, uh, you know, the, the, the fridges where you could get the bottle of, of soda or whatever when you walked in or, or when you walked out. Well, people would get a I bottle bet. of soda, you know, and they would drink it while they were walking around. And then when it was almost empty, they'd uh, accidentally try to leave it on a shelf like oh I, I forgot that I left it mm-hmm. here so it was really great when you worked there was just to follow people around and then hand them the backwash soda and be like oh I think you I think you left this here gotta love it yeah you're a real you're real Jack Bauer right there oh right? hell yeah <laughs> oh yeah don't try to pull a fast one over on me at Toys R Us <laughs> I got nothing better to do <laughs> to follow you around and stop petty well, theft of sodas well, gentlemen, much like Michael Mountain Dew boarded many a customer in a Toys R Us, we are now preparing for our first real 24 interrogation. It is 10.13 in the morning, and now it's 10.17 because we cut the commercial break. We come back. Wait, before Jack- that, though? Before yes. that, before we cut to the commercial, we had some good interrogation preparation music while Jack was oh, yes. rolling up his sleeves yeah. and... Oh, he was getting no. Ready this episode, for this episode so... really ratchets up the torture porn. Mm-hmm. Like they're yeah. excited for Jack to go to work. Oh, yeah. He was sure. looking so smooth, getting himself ready. He's just like, oh god, I'm waiting all day, all <laughs> yeah, day to like, interrogate a bitch. Just one. Like, so Jack's Jack knows it's been a minute since mm-hmm. he's had to hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is laughing place yeah. time. I'm gonna use that for yeah. the rest of this this series. Just letting you guys know. Yeah. No. So. Just to be very clear, though, we are now at 17 minutes into this episode. We're 27 minutes into our episode, so we're going to crank through this real quick. Um, so it's now 10.17. Jack pulls uh, Kofel into the other seat in the, in the uh, back of the limousine. Um, basically says, this doesn't, know, doesn't have to take long. Starts naming names. Penikoff, Alan York, Palmer. So the attempt on Palmer's life failed. You failed. You need to tell me what you know. Who are you meeting with in 10 minutes? Uh, we learn it's Kevin Carroll. He sells machine tools. And so Jack picks up the phone, calls Nina, says, run a background check on him. Why are you meeting in a parking lot? That's just where he wanted to be. So Jack so decides that's to... That's all serious machine tool business. Look, I've been in the machine tool business. I can't right. tell you how many times I take my bulletproof limo to meet the machine tool salesman in a parking garage. That's just where you do business. In like the bottom level of parking Exactly. Garage. So that's just standard practice. Standard so, machine tool protocol. Well, it seems so Michael, as, as though machine tools are, can be dangerous if thrown yeah, exactly. at someone. So you need a bulletproof limo. I don't exactly. Yeah. I mean, like if it goes haywire, you get a machine tool right in your face. Fuck so, that. So guys, so from there... Jack's not pleased with that answer. He pulls out a, a towel or a handkerchief, starts pouring a bottle of water over it. And me, in my you know post-9-11 naivete, thinks that Jack's going to start waterboarding this mofo. Same just here. Wants a wet, yep. just, wants a, just wants a wet cloth mm-hmm. to start pouring over this man's stupid face. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack says, you ever heard of the Russian gulags? They don't have that high-tech equipment. They had to make do with what they had. Just like me. You don't think I could force this wet towel down your throat all the way, but I can. All the way. And when your stomach starts to digest it, I'll pull it up. Along with your stomach lining. It'll take you a week to die. 
very painful. Yeah, I don't know how towels down the throat work, but I'm pretty sure they just can't pull up your stomach lining out of nowhere. <sighs> oh, they can pull up your stomach acid? Right. Through your esophagus, right? And then that would fuck mm-hmm. you up a little bit. Yeah. Um, um, your stomach lining yeah, itself pretty, is just... A- you'll get some pretty bad GERD. For sure. <laughs> yeah, the, the stomach lining is a lining of mucus around your stomach that protects you from the acid that's there, and it actually replenishes itself every few weeks, so I don't understand how it would murder. Anyway. Well, okay, Miss Husband Doctor. Hey, that's all, some all shit I'm I saying before she was a doctor, you son of a bitch. All I'm saying <laughs> is if somebody uh, is already looking like Jack, and he even mentions... The Russian gulag to me, I'm telling him everything and immediately. Like, I don't know where you're going with this, but I don't need to know. Like, all you have to mention is the gulag. That's it. We've already, we've already said that we're bitches. I mean, we already admitted that. We're, 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 yeah, we've, we've made that crystal clear. So this man basically, he hears that his response to, I'm going to pull your stomach lining out with a towel <laughs> is, what kind of man are you? To which Shaq says, I'm a family man. I'll do anything to save my wife and daughter. So, um, Kofel says, I want to show you something. It's in my wallet. Pull it out. And it just shows Jack some family photos in his wallet. Um, if I, I want to see them again, just as bad as you want to see your family. I would tell you something if I knew. Um, is this still so, a thing that people cool. do in 26, 2017? Do they still carry pictures of their family in their wallets i don't think so right no no, no it's all no. your smartphone I'm like hold no. hold on let me unlock my iphone yeah, <laughs> yeah not gonna not gonna lie it's, not gonna lie both the lock screen and the home screen are different pictures on my phone of my two sons to do the same thing that he has done to say hey look man look at these little adorable you know little dudes don't do that is, is that the purpose like honestly i mean is well, it no, just to it, remind the, yourself no, or the, is it be like purpose, just in case the purpose like, is to see my children every day but there's also the the added benefit of doing that that but does help what what i saw in mr Koval's wallet was a goddamn stock photo that came with the wallet so <laughs> that's right i don't buy it for yeah. a second that's what i Brad. thought too <laughs> he had like 18 kids like from what i saw i wasn't buying it yeah. um yeah. So we now it's now ten twenty one. We cut back to a car arriving at the games, the Gaines compound. Our terrorist leader, uh, Ira Gaines, wearing a very sensible leather duster, walks out and meets the car. Mister Drazen, who we met in the last episode, steps out, asks if they actually have Bauer. Ira says no, but we're doing everything possible. And uh, Drazen, Drazen asks very reasonably, and if Bauer comes here, to which Ira says we're ready. And I have to really doubt that because they're not really ready for Terry and Kim acting mm. out. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to be ready for Jack's murder storm to roll up in that business. Not at all. I think two, two, two things I got to say here. One, one Ira is trying to cover his ass because he sees that his operation is going down. Um, now that, you know, the big man's here and kind of the bullshit that he's been through the last two hours now that the whole, the first assassination attempt went bad. You know, it's all coming to head and he's trying to trying to repair it as much as he can, but, you know, the boss may can see through it. Two, um, and more importantly, gentlemen, where in this day and age can one acquire a full-length leather duster? I, I, I don't see them anywhere, and, you know, well, why not? I guess according would be all, Goodwill. All, according to all of the games I've been playing, mostly player-unknown battlegrounds, you can get a leather duster just in any ramshackle house. You just okay. walk in, you get a scar, you know, scar L. Yeah, you maybe just a leather duster, a motorcycle helmet. You just go to town. You just have I the just halo feel- drop into uh, onto an island, 
um, and then run into a house, and there you go. There's your leather duster. Or, or you yeah. know what I feel? I feel, I feel like Idris Elba just, just gets them. I feel like Idris Elba, if he walks out of a house, he gets leather duster. He's that cool. Like, I want to be that guy, just to be around him, maybe. Be like, can I have that duster, bro? You don't need it. And he's like, yeah, well, I got 17 more. Well, Curtis and Michael, one of my favorite book series does take place in your city, Chicago. And Mr. Harry Dresden, who is a wizard, also a detective, does wear a pretty sick leather shirt. So. Wait, a detective wizard? Oh, yeah, a wizard detective. It's pretty standard stuff. Oh, wait, a wizard detective or a detective wizard? Wizard detective, for oh, sure. Okay. He's wizard first, okay. detective second. Okay. Party gotcha. animal third. <laughs> so anyway, Curtis, like you mentioned, Gaines is kind of feeling the heat here that his operation might be on its last legs. And uh, we uh-huh. get some confirmation there. Uh, basically, Drazen says, I'm pulling the plug on you. You were supposed to frame Bauer to kill Palmer, but Palmer's still alive, and you don't have Bauer, so we're done. You failed. To which uh, Gaines says, you're going to pull the plug after a year of planning. And uh, Drazen says, of course not. We have a contingency of which you are not a part. It does not involve you. Um, so Gaines tries to fight for his life. Basically says, you know, give me another chance. To which Drazen says, okay, you have two hours, or you have it until noon. To which um, Gaines says, that's not even two hours. So Drazen responds, okay, you have 30 minutes to kill to get Bauer. Also, if you don't do it, kill Terry and Kim, which is overheard by our intrepid douchebag, Rick. Um, yeah, no, so, so Drazen also says, uh, yeah, he has a contingency plan, and the contingency plan basically ends up with Bauer and Palmer dead. Exactly. So there are, there are plans in motion that Gaines may have been unnecessary from the beginning, but... Rick overhears all this, and then we hear Drazen give someone a phone call. He starts speaking in some foreign language with the show very helpfully, does not translate into <laughs> subtitles, which I rely on very, you know, very frankly to guide me in this show. So uh, we cut to the Palmers for the first time in this episode. They're at a school that uh, David was speaking at earlier. Uh, Mike Novak pulls him aside a, for a call from Carl, the political operative. Coral. Um, Carl. Uh, David tells Carl that he wants to meet face-to-face because he has learned that George Ferragamo, um, the therapist, his life might be in danger for the information that he has given on Keith's criminal investigation. So Carl fights him a little bit but agrees to meet at 11 o'clock, which would, of course, be the end of this episode. So we cut back to Jack. He's at the limo. He's banging his wet towel against (laughs) the hood of the car, which I'll be quite honest, is just... It's really just wasting moisture yeah. in that towel. It's right? also not like I don't think it's as intimidating as he thought it would be when he did it. Yeah, like it the, seems intimidating yeah. to the viewer. But if I'm in the back of a limo, 15 feet away from someone, just slapping a thing, like he's not really behaving erratically at that point. He's just kind of being like a weirdo. <laughs> what I'm thinking is, so are you, are you gonna beat me with the towel? I'll take a beating. You you said the stomach lining thing. That's not. What you're yeah. doing, you're just hitting it's it. It's not even a towel. Game. It's like a tiny little, it's like a washcloth. I mean, hit it's me a with wa- a, wa- it's a, it's a washcloth. Wash Let's do this. Yeah. A washcloth. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you're really, I'm going to get some pretty bad bruises from this thing for sure. <laughs> yeah. Is there a knot on the end of that son bitch? It's going to be rough. It's going to hurt a little bit. Not excited. Oh, about it's just it. a, it's just a wet towel. Okay. Yeah. I'm wearing a suit. I can take this. That's fine. Um, so Nina calls Jack again. She says she has no good info on Kevin Carroll, the guy that they're supposed to meet, um, because she says the file that they were looking at was corrupt. 
and they don't even know if the Ted Kofel that Jack has is the Ted Kofel that um, is under suspicion, but Jack basically has a bad feeling and just knows that this guy is his guy. Mm. So... Yeah, Nina basically accuses him of of becoming a little bit more unhinged every time she talks to him. And she's basically like, yeah, yeah, I I think you're making a mistake, Jack. Which kind of follows the cycle we've already seen a couple times in this season. Like, even Nina, Jack's closest ally, like, thinking Jack's wrong, realizing he's right, thinking he's wrong again, (laughs) being shocked by, like, something he did, and being like, oh, that was bad, then realizing it was right, and just, like... It's this constant ebb and flow of, like, everyone around Jack saying he's wrong, and then just him really like, okay, you're fine. (laughs) I don't play by your rules. But, so Jack decides that, fuck it, we're going to see your your friend Kevin Carroll uh, in the parking garage. So, uh, that's the commercial break. We cut to 10.30. We cut to Kim and Terry in the, uh, our sweet hay bale loft. (laughs) And, uh, Kim notices that, uh... People are getting ready to go. And then uh, Terry seems like she's in some pain. She says she's been having some stomach pain. Um, Kim, for some reason, says, I should go tell somebody. There's a couple of uncomfortable things about this. Mostly just everything that happened to Terry in the last episode. But also just Kim being really stupid. You're like, oh, yeah, surely these terrorists that are have already held a gun to me and my mother's head will care about my mom having a tummy ache. Yeah, it's not like it's not like they're in prison or being held in like a, a holding cell it's like oh officer like we're hurt we need a we need a doctor like yeah, well, <laughs> these people are clearly don't give a shit whether you're hurt or not they just need you alive for jack well that and the person that she would call would be eli who as far as we can tell so far in this season probably committed hard r against terry so i'm guessing he won't give a fuck that her stomach hurts don't be dumb kim yeah i right. mean what are they gonna do get rick Rick, Rick barely even knows his ass from a hole in the ground. Which he has dug a couple holes in the ground. <laughs> which, like, you'd think he'd know. But, so, Terry just responds, your father's coming. So, speaking of her father, we cut back to the limo. Uh, Jack's driving. We have a, a weird sequence where Ted is pulling down the uh, armrest in the middle of the, the backseat of the limo, trying to hide, furtively hiding from Jack. He pulls out a slender sort of rod from he kind of taped to the inside of the thing. Oh, Teddy it could, boy. Mm-hmm. It could be a phone. It could be a knife. You know, I thought knows? it was a phone. No, uh, I honestly so I. thought it was a phone. Yeah, I said, yeah. it, seemed, it seemed like a phone. Yeah. So we got back to the Palmers. We learned like they have some really superficial interactions this entire episode. Like... I remember watching the show for the first time when I was a young man in college and like really just inexplicably hating Terry Palmer, sorry, Sherry Palmer, Mm -hmm. because I was supposed to, I feel like, because of the writing in the show. But like, Mm -mm. as I'm watching it again, Sherry has her shit on point, like nonstop. I love Sherry. I love Sherry. It was interesting to find out that her and David have known each other their whole lives, though. Yeah, since elementary school. We learned that. Also, also, just letting you guys know, do you see that David signed a basketball, even though we know his basketball career is bullshit? Well, yeah, he probably signed it. He probably signed it like, go Georgetown. Remember when I hit that shot? Yeah. Yeah. And some kindergartner was like, no, my dad blocked your shot on the (laughs) the court. No, not happening. And Georgetown sucks. Yeah. So uh, David and Sherry walk away. 
David asked if Sherry has talked to Carl. She said, I did. I asked if he could stop Maureen's uh, story from coming out. And uh, basically, he said that we'd take care of any evidence against Keith. Um, I didn't ask what he meant. Because, again, Sherry, you know, for all of her her pros, I don't think she has much care for how things get done. Just that they do get done. Yeah, she knew what he meant. Let's be honest. Uh, She's not that David naive. said, no, Sherry's a boss. She doesn't. It's plausible deniability. Guys. No, I get that. Yeah. But like, come on. Yeah. Right. Did but you know? so David says, when you deceived me seven years ago, I hoped it would be a one time thing. So David, again, continues the streak of just like bullshit marital altruism. Um, and I, I got to tell you, I what again, when I first watched it, so I love David Palmer. I still do, but, like, he's such a shithead in this show. I'm not a fan. So this scene, this scene when he's, he, he basically, he basically gives her the Fredo, the Fredo treatment here, where he, he basically gives her the, uh, I, I know it was you, and then gives her the, the kiss of death. I don't know if you guys yeah, remember that, it, that scene in Godfather where Michael Corleone kisses Fredo. I've never seen that movie. Jesus never heard Christ, of it. you guys. That was uh, I've that, that was actually that was, that was Godfather uh, Dose, right? Yeah, yeah. I've seen the film, but I wanted you. I wanted to make sure you. Might. <laughs> I'm just saying it was a it was a nice little uh, I think homage by the uh, the 24 people. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, though, I don't think they really. I feel like David Palmer operates in a constant state of like. Puritanism, where like I don't think he really understands like people not doing things by the book. Like so, I, I honestly don't even think that he like conceived of Sherry doing a thing around his back because I think he's just like people work the same way I do, which comes up later in this episode. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, no, I, I don't, I'm, I don't want to get too far ahead of the episode, but I find it hard to believe that David got as far as he has with this level of naivete towards the way the machine works the political machine right. i mean i'll tell you yeah. this for for and and you know going back to comic books for 70 years this is how captain america was he's just this altruistic douche canoe who <laughs> believes that everyone has to play by the book and do it do things his way or they're wrong and it's which means that they've been able to conflict. manipulate david palmer without destroying his his sense of puritanism which is kind of impressive but, but the the difference is that so Curtis, that's actually an interesting thing i hadn't thought about that like captain america is always confronted with the fact that there are forces willing to manipulate him but generally speaking he's aware of them david palmer doesn't that's even true. see like we'll get into it later like he doesn't even seem aware of the fact that like there are larger forces at work that would want to elect a president that like suit their interests so we'll get into that yeah no you're right yeah you are correct 20 minutes but holy shit we're 45 minutes in well the other thing the other thing that happens the other thing that happens uh is that oh wait no i'm I'm sorry i'm going i'm i was gonna say when when he talks to mike he says that's that's where i was going right there i was say he he says to him like hey you know did you find anything about the the guy at the the assassination attempt at the power plant says no you know it's jack bauer we don't know anything about him blah blah, blah. and he says basically there's a gap in his records and several gaps several gaps but david says is one of those gaps from the summer two years ago and he says look into that 
And so, fucking, I told you guys, I thought there was a little tinge of recognition between the fucking two of them. I, that, yeah, that well, gave the me, thing is, that gave me a giant spy boner. I got so happy. I was just yeah. like, this is where the show gets real. I'm so excited so, right now. The thing is, I don't think, I don't think he, he recognized the name Jack Bauer specifically, but, um, he did say, how did you know? I'll get into that later. It's just another thing to deal with. But I think he knows that there's ghosts in his past that are worth exploring. Um, and that Jack Bauer might be one of them. So it's not 1034. We arrive finally at the garage. Jack tells uh, Kofel to move up. Um, Jack moves into the backseat of the thing. And um, Kofel, while Jack really takes his sweet old time closing the door from the limo to get in the backseat, Kofel attacks him with the knife that he pulled out of the armrest. And uh, it doesn't really work that well at all, does it? Mm, the sound of his wrist snapping was... It was a little visceral, I have so to say. So there's a brief struggle. Jack throws Kofel behind him, snaps his wrist very uncomfortably, mm. throws him back, and uh, Kofel almost immediately starts speaking in a language that Jack identifies as Serbian. Because, mm-hmm. are you from Belgrade? Do you have family well, there? In the way he snapped, it was like he went from like this earnest like American dude to this Serbian like devil man. It was almost like yeah. he was he was possessed. By, like, some kind of Serbian demon. One of the harshest, harshest accents I've ever heard in any show of of all time. Like, he just automatically flips the switch and just, like, stops speaking in in his, like, perfect, perfect American accent to this, like, weird Serbian one. Just basically says, you deserve everything that's happening to you. And uh, Jack says, what do you know about what's happening to me? To which he says, one thing you need to know right now. You will pay. Mm. And Jack punches him very hard in a weird nerve cluster in his shoulder. And then, as we learned earlier, Kofel is taking heart medicine. And um, Kofel immediately starts, like, dying. Oh, yeah. He punched him so hard he gave him a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so Jack tries tries to just shove heart medicine down his throat. But um, Kofel dies pretty quick. And Jack clearly doesn't have a dog. Because I've had to shove some pills down my right. dog's throat, and it's not that difficult. Yeah, it's uh, you put it down, you rub, you massage the throat, you massage you the hold throat. The snout. You you make sure that the mouth stays closed. Eventually, they have to swallow it. They don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you yeah. gotta breathe in, so you gotta swallow. Um, mm-hmm. just as a side point, Kush. So Jack says that the the, the knife that Kofel attacks him was a Microtech Halo. Mm-hmm. I, will, I yeah. look these knives up. The lowest price I'm able to find is somewhere around $600, up to thousands of dollars. So Jack has a point. You got that shit in your bulletproof limo? Mm. You're doing some moves. Mm -hmm. Well, you you did just say two very important words, bulletproof limo. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) So, again, Ted Kofel is not what he appears to be. Um, So, yeah, so he... He dies, though, pretty bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so Super we cut dies. the commercial break. We come back. It's 1042. We're on the phone. Nina is comforting Jack, basically saying that Kevin might know whatever we did not learn from uh, our dearly departed friend here. And um, Jack says, it's not just about Palmer. This is personal. They're coming after me. And uh, Jack tells Nina that she needs to look deeper into into Ted Kofel. 
look into his family, look into something about Belgrade, and specifically to look into Jack's classified personnel field assignments. Uh, two years ago, I was in Belgrade and Kosovo for Operation Nightfall. Nina says it's classified. Jack says, I know, just do it. Then he gives himself a little pep talk, says, Jack, you can do this. <laughs> yeah, Jack. And he uh, he's losing it a little bit. A little bit. But then he pulls Ted Koval back up into the back seat, straightens his tie, and guys, it's finally time for weekend at Ted Koffel's. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, tiny clock at ten forty-four. Oh, yes. So take that right. drink real quick. Yeah. Curtis, what are you drinking? By the way, it looks very rosé. No, that is a lot of vodka and a little bit of cherry Seven Up. <laughs> oh. Hey there. Yeah. Well, so at 10.44, we cut to CTU, and Tony comes up to Nina. He says that um, Alberta Green, acting director of CTU, already thinks that they're helping Jack. She pretty much knows it, but she can't prove it. So why not come clean and tell her what's going on, which is a kind of sensible action. But uh, Nina says Jack says no. And uh, after what happens with Janie, we don't know who to trust. And uh, Tony says... I know Green is a hard ass, but I don't think she's dirty. And Nina gives him a pretty good response. She's like, I know she thinks, does things by the books, but if we call Divi- if we tell her, she'll call Division, and we'll get 30 people involved. And if even one of those 30 people is Jamie, we're fucked. That's Which is a pretty sensible reaction, I feel That's like. That's a good point. Like, it it's, it's it, very reasonable. Here's what I gotta say, guys. I, I know I said earlier in this episode that, you know, I would snitch. Tony Acevedo is a special agent in the government. Almeida. What was that name? Almeida. What was that sorry. Name? <laughs> Almeida. I don't know where I got Acevedo from. That's probably racist. Anyway. I think, it was, I think uh, Tony Kirk Acevedo Ace- might Kirk be Kirk Acevedo a- from uh, Band of Brothers. He was an actor. You are correct. I said Tony Acevedo might, might, be, might be a baseball player. I think. Anyway, shut your mouth. Well, guys. Guys. Okay. Cross talk. Okay. 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 Anyway. Why is this special agent just fucking... He's just dying to snitch. He just wants out. He's dying to snitch. You're like, just tell her. It's like, stop keeping secrets. Just move on with my life. You're a bitch. Okay, Tony. Let's move on. So, we... It's 10.44. We go back to barn times. Kim is somehow continuing her nap. How? Oh, uh, mom. How? I'm Jesus so tired, mommy. Fucking so hater. Terry, Terry wakes her up. Kim is complaining about being tired. But then Rick walks in and Kim is somehow instantly awake because sploosh. Because she's got a lady um, boner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he pulls a gun, gives it to Kim, says it was Dan's from the car. It's fully loaded, ready to go. And he says, sorry for everything. And then he leaves. Continuing his streak of being about as helpful as he possibly can be for 20 seconds and then walking away. So Kim just kind of yells at him, what are we supposed to do? Shoot our way out? Which is not the worst idea, but uh, Terry just gets right down to business, cocks the gun, uh, and just like starts looking out the window. She's like, he must know something. This time they mean it where they're going to kill us, so we need to be ready for it. Um, so we come back to the garage. We finally see another car arriving. It's a a Lincoln Town car. A man gets out. He walks towards the car. He gets in. This is my fucking favorite fucking scene in the entire fucking episode, Kush. And guys, they open the door. He steps in. Who the fuck is it? It's It's Alan. Fucking York. It's it's Alan. Alan. They called him. They called him Kevin before. I forgot he was fucking Kevin. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was like, oh goddamn it, it's fucking Kevin. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. So. Jack says, hello, Alan, or is it Kevin? 
Where's my wife? And what does Alan do? Oh, he he shoots Jack directly in the face like six times. Eight times. I counted because it <laughs> I was I was counting the shots. It's gotta be a, a, a 1911 with an extra round of the chamber. And Jack does not even fucking flinch. He doesn't blink because Jack he so Jack somehow, between now and then, put up the bulletproof divider. Between the driver's compartment and the back seat. Mm-hmm. Look, and I don't even care. I don't even care that it would be literally impossible for Jack to say those words right. to Alan slash Kevin while the divider mm-hmm. was up because he wouldn't be able to hear him. I don't even care about that because it was so fucking cool. Yeah. It was awesome. He looked like a boss. He blinked mm-hmm. a couple, yeah. but he gives a shit, man. Just barely, barely blinks. Mm. So the door closes. Jack locks those doors, gets shot eight times towards yonder face. Doesn't give a shit. Jack starts driving like a maniac. Well, here, everyone starts. F- I gotta do this, Kish. The- Go on. One of my favorite videos on the internet um, that has been shared has to do with LeBron James and Kevin and, and Kevin Love. And I have to say that <laughs> while Jack is driving uh, Kevin in the backseat around, this is what I was saying in my head because as a man who has a family, this is what I would be thinking. I was gonna kill you, Kevin. <laughs> in front of all these goddamn kids, Kevin. <laughs> Took with your own fucking shoelaces. You gonna die, Kevin? <laughs> I'm kill you, Kevin. I'm gonna kill you, Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> well, as as you deliver that line, Jack delivers delivers a very very effective seatbelt PSA because <laughs> while he's driving mani- maniacally through this parking garage, he has his seatbelt fastened. No one else does. Uh, Ted Koffel is flopping all around that backseat. Um, Kevin Carroll uh, slash what's-his-face is flopping all around. Um, Jack is driving very quickly towards the wall, but then just hits the brakes, mm. and uh, Kevin Carroll flies forward and hits the dividing glass, and it gets knocked out. In the luckily, face! Luckily, doesn't die, I guess? <laughs> so that's a very good seatbelt PSA. So it is now 10.52. We're back to Jack. He is uh, duct taping Alan York's hands in the backseat of the Lincoln Town car, the car that Alan drove to meet uh, Ted Koffel in the limo. Um, Basically says, where are my wife and daughter? Alan says, they're safe. Says, where are they? And uh, Alan says, oh, man, I forgot to I forgot to, to say it. Go on. When when Jack hit the brakes and Alan went flying into the into the thing, got his ass knocked out. I was gonna say, you got jacked. I'm just gonna I'm gonna edit that into where it should be. Don't worry about it. Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. Okay. So let me let me factor all of that in. <laughs> so after Alan got jacked up, real good. It's now 10.52. We cut back to him. He's t- he's duct taping Alan's hands in the backseat of the town car, which Alan had driven to meet Ted Koffel in the limo. Basically, you know, they go back and forth saying, don't, don't make this any harder than it has to be. And uh, Alan says, I was going to say the same to you. So Jack kind of pulls a line from Army of Darkness and says, yeah, but I'm the guy with the gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to which Alan says, "If well, if you kill me, how will you find your family? Let me say it. Let me say it. Let me say it. Michael, what does he say? Who said anything about killing? As soon as Jack says that, Alan becomes pr- 
pretty pragmatic about mm-hmm. the entire situation. Mm-hmm. Basically says, I'm pretty good with withstanding pain, but you need to get there soon since you're of no use to us anymore. So we need to come to an agreement. So it's basically Jack versus Prazen, like or Victor Drazen versus Ira Gaines and crew. So Jack has the decision to make here. So Jack just says, I'm listening. So he says, if you let me go, I'll tell you where they are. Well, as soon as as soon as they're safe, you have my word. To which Alan spits upon the ground <laughs> of the limo and uh, says, your word isn't worth shit, pretty much. So Jack says, we're talking about a family. As soon as I know they're safe, I'll let you go. That's the agreement. If I say no, we'll find out how good you are with really withstanding pain. Oh my god, it's like a it's like a game of chicken right now between Kevin and Jack. And guess what? Kevin motherfucking blinks. What does he say? He says, "Drive the car." Hey guys, I want to give you a little trivia fact here. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you mind? Do you mind? Oh, please. Get after no, it. No, please. So, Mr. Richard Burgey, he plays Kevin here, Mr. Kevin Carroll or Alan York, was originally cast as Mr. Jack Bauer. Wow. What? Really? Are you fucking kidding he me? Was, he was cast as Jack Bauer, but a last-minute decision by the pro- producers that they wanted a bigger-name character to pl- or actor to play Jack Bauer really drove him out into the character of Alan York and introduced Mr. Kiefer Sutherland oh, into the role of Jack Bauer. My so God. can you see the tension in this scene and how it really ratchets up? He so Kevin Keith. is based oh God. <laughs> he hates Keith so much. This is my career. You know what though? You know this what though? This, this series lasts about twelve episodes with Mr. Kevin Carroll as the lead. Right. That's what I'm saying though. Mm-hmm. But could you uh, could you imagine if your role of a lifetime that went eight or nine seasons has been stolen from you by some flatliners vampire <laughs> douchebag? Uh, some Hollywood flatliners son. was such a good movie though. Yep. So that there's that. That's my little trivia tidbit. My for God, this that is shit. Wow. wow, that's some deep shit. That's deep cut. The world could have changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as as Jack drives away via split screen with the limo uh, out of the parking garage, we see someone rubbing their watch very sensually. So we cut to Drayton you know saying, "You're ha- sorry. Go ahead." Drayton says, "Time's up, bitches. Go commit double murder." This is probably the first time in, in this show so far that somebody was literally on time. Like he said that they had thirty minutes at ten twenty one, and it is like 1051 right now and and he was like your time is fucking up wow this is one of the first times the real time like seed has actually played yeah to play to like the story exactly so he tells them to kill kim and uh terry Mm -hmm. Gaines isn't very happy about this i think he wanted more time to kind of like get bauer in himself he was hoping drazen would forget about the half hour thing i think he just wanted to do this on his own terms and like prove that he was like worthy of all the money they spent on him. But so he calls in Eli, so tells all the drivers to make final preparations and also to kill the women, which Eli seems kind of taken aback by. Which is so odd because back, because Eli was like literally three seconds from killing them before. Like multiple times. Right. So right. like being uneasy about it now doesn't 
I guess, make a lot of sense. Like, now he feels remorse for this. Right. It's very odd. Mm -hmm. But we cut back to the Palmers. They're walking through the school, talking to a bunch of reporters. Yep. And I'll take over Um, here, Coach. I'll take this over. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. David Palmer looks in the distance and sees his old friend, Carl Webb, uh, and tells everyone, I'll be back in a moment. I need to go speak to my friend here. Uh, and which this is what happens. Which Palmer is the Palmer is the worst conversationalist ever. Like there has been multiple times where he just blows someone off to go take a phone call. Well, yeah, so it's pretty he, bad. So real quick, I, I, two two things. Go ahead. He just kind of pawned off a question from a reporter to his chief of staff, Mike Novak. But then he went to talk to a well-known political or operative <laughs> in plain view. Like in front of, of everyone. Mul- There's TV cameras. Plain view of multiple TV cameras. So that's all right. I'm going to say. Curtis, go ahead. Yep. And then, so Carl says, you know, this here Carl Webb. <laughs> and, uh, and and David Palmer asked Carl uh, if, if, he'd hurt, if he'd had threatened to kill Dr. George Ferragamo, Keith's therapist. Keith's therapist. Right? And Carl Webb says, Carl Webb... He'll commit no murder. Carl Webb <laughs> promises no murder. To which David Palmer does not agree with the fact that Carl is saying he wouldn't do it. He thinks that he would still do it. And Carl Webb says, uh, Carl Webb never worked for you. You and I have always worked for them. Mm-hmm. This year, right, Carl, this yeah. Is, this year, Carl Webb. Yeah. So this is weird thing where Palmer basically says, I won't allow anybody to be like, killed in the name of my candidacy. To which like Carl says, like David, you don't get it. You and I have never worked for you. you we've worked for them. Um, yeah, he says they didn't ver- put all this time and money behind you to have it all fall apart now. Like, yeah, there are too very many serious people. people. Yeah, there are too many people invested in your shit for you to just throw it away because of your sense of bullshit justice. They paint a very rosy picture of American politics. Mm-hmm. To which David, somehow after being a senator for at least a couple of terms, does not really understand or even believe which is yeah. shocking to me yeah he says you may be not me not me and he walks away and then what does he do next he calls 411 he fucking calls 411 it's the greatest thing ever right he he calls so 411 and then in his which w- for our millennial listeners <laughs> is a service where if you dial 411 on your cellular telephone it will Allow you to look up any listed number in the universe. Do you think that still works? Has, has anyone called four one one? Like literally anyone called four one one in the past ten years? One second. Welcome These days. to Sprint four one one. There it is. Press one or stay on the line. Now we all know Kush has Sprint. That's sad. Unlimited data. Uh, can I call Michael Howard in Chicago, Illinois, please? For Michael Howard, do you know? Yeah, connect me, please. Thank you. That's not your number. That's not my number at all. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> I told hang you. Up, hang up. Hang up. You should have called George Ferragamo. You should have so, called George Ferragamo so in wait, LA. So let me get this straight. 401 connects you to an actual person? Yeah, dog. Apparently. Oh, no. Anyway, Senator David Palmer, in the midst of a potential massive criminal investigation involving his son in murder... Calls his son's therapist, who is the chief witness towards said murder. Yeah, here's which the I thing. don't, I don't understand. He's here's such, the thing: he's such a dick. If I, he thinks, I, guys, sorry, I don't like Palmer. I if he don't. thinks Ferragamo is gonna be hurt, now he's his phone, his cell phone is on record as calling four one one to call George Ferragamo. 
if he ends up dead, like that's that's a pretty big implication. It's bad. And again, like I, the first time I watched this show, like I very specifically, like mostly moving forward, but like this season in particular, I thought David Palmer was fucking great. I dislike Terry, like Terry, I dislike Sherry Palmer. I don't know if it's just like the fact of like growing up, like the women in this show really have their shit together, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize as a yeah, young man. I've like, talked a lot of shit about Terry and I mean, we're not there yet. We're very close to being there, but like, I feel bad about the amount of shit I've talked about Terry now. Yeah. This episode really, look. really drove it home that she's not that bad. Yeah, I, I think, we're going to get there in a second. I think, so I've had, you know, I, I, I've had a lot of strong women in my life, and I have a strong father as well, but watching it now, and maybe I could have brought this perspective to you guys when we were younger and actually watching it live, I, I have not since episode two really liked Jack Bauer or David Bauer and have liked I liked Sherry since day one Terry I thought was a little naive because I knew that Kevin 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 wasn't who he said he was um but yeah they're both these 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 just all all knowing boy scouts who think they're correct about everything mm. and for the most part people like that will get proved to be full of shit and that's where we are now yeah so we saw that in this episode, even like Jack basically says, I have an instinct, like a gut instinct about Ted Kofel is the bad guy. And like, you know, because of the show, his gut instincts always work out. You're correct. But yeah, I, I with you. I'm with you on that one. So at the end of this episode, we cut back to Terry and Kim. They're in their little barn. Uh, Kim is oddly whining about something. <laughs> Surprise! Uh, God, I still hate Eli. Kim. I I may not hate Terry as much. I still hate Kim. Fuck Kim. God, um, God, it's just that it's, will, I, oh, that will always her. happen. That I still love continue. Alicia Cuthbert. I do. If we ever have her on the show, by any luck of God, we, we you know she's a great. She's like a great actress. But good God, does she play a horrible human being? And look, I'm not gonna lie. If we ever have her on the show, I'm gonna talk about um happy endings happy endings yeah. like non-stop yeah, we and yeah we that's, should that's pretty much all i'm going to talk about so yeah we will happy. become we will become a happy endings podcast yeah it's just <laughs> yeah because yeah. In, in the show she's the worst just so anyway eli walks in basically says uh well your time is up i'm sorry i'm gonna make it fast for you B- bt dubs uh, bt dubs i'm gonna i'm gonna kill you mm-hmm about to right murder. which i mean like Again, I, I kind of appreciate in this show, there's a flash of humanity, even in this, like, asshole who has done very bad things towards Terry already and wanted to do towards games. Like, he's just like, hey, sorry, like, I gotta kill you. Um, <laughs> sorry, I have to kill you now. Like, it's just, I mean, it's that brief moment. It's just like, it, it's not just like the normal bad guy. It's like, he didn't just walk in and pull a gun. Like, mm, it was, it yeah. was like a moment there's like, yeah, I don't want to do this either. But so he says that Terry pulls her gun that Rick gave her, which was from Dan, uh, who said he said it was locked and loaded, ready to go, mm-hmm. and which Terry had cocked. Um, so she points the gun directly at Eli, pulls the trigger, and nothing happens, mm. which I kind of, I want to say is just like Gaines gave Dan a gun that didn't work on purpose is wor- the how I read that. Like, even though Dan had, like, rolled at Janet early in their show with, like, the gun pointed at her, I kind of wondered what would have happened. Like, did that gun ever work? Did, did, was Dan ever trusted to be 
an effective tool in this cog. Going back to my earlier point, there are people that you trust and there are people that you don't. <clears throat> Do you give Dan a little weapon? I wouldn't. No. You know, judgment call. No. Judgment call. I wouldn't even give Dan a water gun. That fucking idiot was somehow find a way to kill himself with well, it. Don't forget, guys, that Dan saw a prone Janet while he was driving a van. And, <laughs> and the thought her. to himself was, I'm going to try to shoot her in the head. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's that's what I'm saying, though. Had he had the chance to shoot that gun, <laughs> would it have worked? Pr- probably not. But what, right. what really got me... So, like, the one thing that, that was really interesting was that in a lot of, a lot of times, the person who is... I would say the the weaker person pulls a gun on the stronger person and they do something stupid like don't make me shoot you. I don't want to shoot you. And they let the person walk towards them, walk towards them and eventually take the gun. Terry was just like she pointed that gun at his face and she did not hesitate to pull the trigger. Like if that gun was loaded, she was going to shoot him directly in the face in a half second. And I Which really I appreciated that. Yeah, yeah. I no, Terry was just like nonstop, just like, "Hey, it's business time." Tried to shoot him. It didn't it's work. Business he, he, time. he tackled her. Yeah, he tackled her. He started to pull his own gun. Kim tackles him to the ground. His gun goes flying, and he tackle. He pulls a gun, or sorry, he pulls a knife on Kim. Goes to stab her. Terry scrambles, grabs a gun, shoots him, and he's laying there dying. Kim is freaking out, and um. Terry's fucking ice cold because she shoots him once and mm-hmm. then she waits a beat and shoots him again. Mm-hmm. And she says, they were expecting two shots. There's the second shot. That smooth double tap. I, God, I'm, I'm not going to so, lie. Six I'm to so midnight. Mad. Like, I, I, yeah. I know it's wrong to say that, but I was just like, yep, Terry's my girl. I'm so that's, mad that's at myself right that I ever, I ever doubted Terry. No, Terry's ice fucking cold on that, that yeah because that then kim is. then kim says okay what do we do now and terry just turns to her and says we hide the body like Which i gotta be honest i don't really know why they hide the bodies but like terry just does not care it doesn't nope. fucking matter why they hide the body or whether they should hide the body just the fact that she was just ice cold like yeah this is what is going to happen because it's business time and we're yeah, getting right. the fuck it's out of here business it's time. business time. So, can I give you guys 24 trivia beat number for this episode? Uh, please Jack do. Friend. The first one was fucking great. According to the 24 season one novelization, Findings of CTU, which is like an aftermath report of season one. So, Fuck, you know, that exists? Ahead of ourselves. Oh, yes, my friend. Why have I not um, read this yet? So, Kevin Carroll is a formal... Formal... I can't talk. Former. 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 There it is. And I'm drunk. Mm. That's not good. <laughs> nope. That's not how word work. Um, so Kevin Carroll is a former, like, you know, military operator who was, you know, corrupted by gains. Mm-hmm. He had identified, he was a DEA agent. He had identified Dan Mounts as a, like, person to get off on drug charges to use in this operation. Mm. So there were Dan Mounts, Eli, who was killed in this episode. Uh, that uh, he had gotten rid of their drug charges to blackmail them into working for Ira Games. Hmm. So Kevin had a pretty long reach into the operation, much deeper than we might have thought just from the show. It just goes to show, though, that maybe people who are 
um, arrested for drug charges aren't the most reliable when it comes to continuing plots of terrorist activity. Yeah, tell it to Jeff Sessions. All right. Terry and Kim, for some reason, decide to hide the body of Eli, which seems like a waste of time. I mean, I guess, like, I guess the thought is, like, somebody's going to eventually come looking for Eli and and them. But if they're just still hiding in that room. Well, no, I guess I guess what I'm thinking is, like, they hide the body. Then when somebody comes in looking for Eli, they don't see the body immediately and, like, they don't sound the alarm like hitman style they it gives them a chance to then sneak out and kill those people as well right they could just start running though and like <laughs> i mean like yeah there were they people thought they were gonna hear two shots and then like eli mm-hmm. would come back and be like oh i definitely definitely murdered those two ladies <laughs> um like i guess if their goal was to start running immediately then they have a point but who knows we'll find out in uh the uh 11 o'clock hour but uh, we cut back to Jack and Kevin. Jack, uh, Kevin is guiding Jack through L.A. Um, basically says, I'm taking you to your family. Just listen up and drive. And mm-hmm. then we cut to 11 a.m. So, guys, where do you think we're going? Well, here? my guess is that at some point, uh, Jack and Kevin are going to have to stop for brunch. Because it is 11 right. o'clock, which is, I mean, in L.A., that is prime brunch time it's avocado toast time. yeah so they're gonna have to wait in line at least i so i'm assuming the 11 to 12 o'clock hour is them waiting in line for brunch well michael you bring up an interesting point regarding kevin kevin he sorry sorry, kevin and or alan york whoever they are um so he wants to deal with jack Mm -hmm. like i think he he knows his goose is cooked he wants jack to you know at this point if he's taking Jack to Gaines's compound, he kind of needs Jack to succeed <laughs> and get his family back. Yeah. So, because if he fail, think- if Jack fails, uh, Kevin's soup's dead. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's a chance that Gaines had contacted Alan. We don't, or Kevin. We don't know this at this point because Gaines didn't confirm it. But like, but he must have because that- there's no reason for Kevin to to call Ted Kofel unless Gaines called. Kevin well, and said, previous. "Hey, that hey. was all previously though." But like but I'm we saying, don't know, like Drazen, Drazen told Gaines that he was going to have Ted pull the money out of the accounts. So it seems like what happened was Gaines had to have called Kevin and be like, "You need to go see Ted and make sure he isn't pulling my money out." Right. Yeah, good point. So I mean, there's either way i think kevin has a reason to let jack get to the compound and either save kim and terry or just blow everything up or just to kill jack so do we think that he's gonna like maybe help him out given that he knows his his immunity and his getting away scot-free depends on jack kind of winning i mean i'll let curtis answer this one first i have a i have a theory i'll trust you kevin <laughs> i'll kill you i'll kill you kids <laughs> Keep running, goddamn kid, Kevin. <laughs> I never trust Kevin. So that's a no. Nope. So you don't. No. Do you think yep. Kevin is taking Jack to the hideout? Yep. No. 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 He's going somewhere no. else. Kevin's the worst. See, I. I feel like. I feel like Kevin, Kevin killed a child, Michael, four hours ago. He murdered a child. Right, but I feel like Kevin is a survivor. He's not the type. 
he's not a company man, so to speak, where he's going to do whatever it takes to cover up the plot. He's in I, this. He's a mercenary. He's in this for the money. He's a survivor. I, I feel. I also like, think that like Gaines is kind of coming up against the fact that he's also not usual because mm-hmm. Drazen has already started to move away from him, and we've we've kind of learned that there's no use for Dra or for um. We've learned there's no use for uh, Gaines in the second iteration of the plan, mm-hmm. which now Gaines is a loose end. So why wouldn't Gaines maybe try to, you know, close that end if he can? So I think we're kind of going to run into like a, a triple threat here where no one knows who they can really trust. And we got a couple like uh, different factions trying to solve the same problem. Yeah, I'm curious. So Drazen doesn't know where Jack is. He doesn't know where Jack is, but somehow he has a contingency plan that ends up with Palmer and Jack dead. So both Jack dead. not framed. He wants Jack framed. Well, right, yeah, originally, but the contingency plan is them both ending up They're dead. Both but dead. Right. without knowing where Jack is, how does he have a contingency plan that ends up with Jack dead? Is what yeah, I'm especially, interested in. Especially if Terry and Kim are both dead. Right? right. How do you draw him anywhere? Right. So. Like I said, I don't remember a lot of the middle of the season, so I'm flying almost as blind as Curtis is here. Um, no, me too. I I don't remember anything of this season. Like, honestly, until the last episode, like, vague memories. I, I think we're all kind of collectively in the dark on this one. I, don't, mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going on. So I'm just as curious as like, how this ends, but I, I wonder, it seems like there are different loyalties that play now because everyone is essentially a mercenary other than Drazen, and Jack and Palmer, because like those are the two involved. But like, and Drazen is a true believer; he wants both of them dead. But Gaines has, other than money and like professional pride, has no reason really to want Jack dead. And if Drazen has already cut him loose mm-hmm. and might kill him just because now he's a loose end, why wouldn't he team up with Jack? Right. So I'm a little curious about that. One. I'll see and, where that one goes. And so, these last two, so these last two hours, the. The 12th hour and the 13th hour are basically the end of the original order of the season. You know, I, I don't know if we were, if everyone remembers this, but Kiefer Sutherland basically confirmed that the first season, they didn't know if they were going to get renewed for the first. Yeah, they didn't know if they were yeah. going to renewed for the full 24. So the, the 13 episodes is almost a self are almost a season. Yeah, it's almost a self-contained season. So we're kind of yep. getting to the 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 mid climax here. Well, guys, I can't wait to find out what happens next. That will continue next week because we are back on track, as it were, for the longest days of our lives. And uh, guys, I'm so excited to be back talking with you. I think we're that'll do it for us this week. But um, we do another show called the. Uh, it's called. Trends in Low Places, where me and Michael t- talk through the dumbest stories of the internet every week. And, uh, you know, we, we like to talk about that. So if you guys like stupid things on the internet, we're your guys. Uh, but, Curtis, how else can people help us out? How can they find out more uh, Good Buddy Media? media? Guys, find us on your podcast app of choice, whether it be iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Podcast Addict. Go ahead and find uh, Long Against Our Lives or Trends in Low Places. And then uh, rate, subscribe, uh, and review us. And that helps us out. Uh, go ahead and click on the Good Buddy Media Inc. tag in there and, and subscribe to our other podcasts. And, and help us out to keep this thing going. Because we, we love doing it. We want to keep doing it for you guys every week. 
Yeah, so uh, like Curtis said, definitely like and subscribe to uh, our channels. And uh, you don't have to follow us on Podbean, uh, which is where we kind of post all of our things. So that's where we're just where we host things. So uh, we are available on literally any podcast service you like. Um, so, uh, Michael, I know I, I try to do blog posts for every episode that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, that will be at goodbuddymedia.com slash blog. Um, but how else can people follow along with all of the longest days of their lives, news that they crave. Uh, yeah, you can find us on Twitter at L-D-O-O-L-Cast or on Facebook at the same name. Um, or you can just search for Longest Days of Our Lives on Facebook. Um, when you uh, see us post something for Longest Days of Our Lives, please hit that share button. Um, you know, hit that like button. Give us a little a little heart, if you will. Um you know, that's it. how we get out to everyone else and how uh, you tell your friends that this is something worth listening to. So we really appreciate the people who have shared us with their friends and uh, everyone else. Um, and we just ask for you to continue to do that because um, that's how we get out there. And uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah. And w- thank you, everyone, for listening, for sharing. Thanks for commenting, and I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode of The Longest Days of Our Lives. Uh, fellas, we're running out of time. Toodles. Bye, y'all. Later. I don't trust nobody. <laughs> <laughs>